guys, welcome along to another Blind Guy Talks Tech. I am that blind guy, Stephen Scott, and today on the episode I'm joined by none other than Dave Dame, the Director of Accessibility at Microsoft, to talk all things Surface, Surface Pro, and the brand new Surface Adaptive Kit. You're listening to Blind Guy Talks Tech, your daily accessible tech podcast. Now, here's that blind guy himself, Stephen Scott. Yeah, really excited to be joined by Dave Dame today, Director of Accessibility at Microsoft. We're going to get into uh, all the new toys from Microsoft. We're going to talk about the Surface Pro 8. We'll talk about the new Surface Studio. Uh, I mentioned that Surface Adaptive Kit as well, which uh, Dave was on hand to demonstrate at Microsoft's launch of uh, the new products uh, at the tail end of last year. Absolutely brilliant to see Dave on stage talking about it. Uh, We'll hear about that experience, which did not come without its challenges. Dave Dame joins me now. Dave, great. Great to have you on Blind Guy Talks Tech. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. It absolutely is. Um, and, you know, I think the pleasure is really all ours, to be honest. Uh, we're so pleased to have you here. Uh, Dave, maybe let's start off by talking about how you actually uh, got into uh, Microsoft and how you got involved with the company and what you do there. Well, that's a really interesting story. So just for the audience, um, I was born with cerebral palsy and I use a power wheelchair. And when you're born in the 70s, there wasn't really a pathway for somebody with a disability to get an education and to have a career, especially where I was born in Windsor, Ontario, right? But luckily, I was born with the right parents that were stubborn. And it couldn't have been at any better of time where There was more rights coming up for people with disabilities, and technology was really starting to take shape. And technology was going to be the vehicle that would really handle for all the mismatches in the world. I always like to say it's not my cerebral palsy that holds me back. Rather, the mismatch and environment accommodate my cerebral palsy that holds me back. So technology was a great level setter. So fast forward, I graduated university, worked at many technology companies as a developer, as a product manager, and then I started leading a lot of large teams, groups, and organizations. And last year when I turned 50, I was vice president at at a major bank. And, you know, up until that point, uh, I think you can imagine, you're always asking yourself, what do I want to be when I grow up? even at 50. But when I turned 50 and I lived beyond expectations, I started asking myself, how do I want to leave the world when I'm no longer here? And um, I got to speak at Microsoft Toronto right before the pandemic, back when you did talks in person. And that started the relationship. Um, This role came up um, to lead accessibility for windows and devices. Um, and they were offering me the opportunity to work high, work remote hybrid. And uh, I thought this was my way I could give back to really help people with disabilities like me accomplish what I have, hopefully with a lot less effort. And because Microsoft was a huge enabler for me to get to where I am, I want to really make sure we drive the next generation of technology that will enable all people to be able to have whatever full life that makes them whole. Yeah, I mean, that's the 
that's the dream, isn't it, I guess? And what a fantastic dream to have. Um, and to, to be able to be at a company that respects that. I mean, you know, we've seen massive changes, massive strides. I've personally seen that in the last five, six years from Microsoft, really pushing the uh, the technology to be more accessible, but also pushing the message that uh, disabled people are capable people, right? That we can do great things. Uh, but, you know, society has to play its part and technology has to play its part as well. What was it like for you, you know, that first day arriving at Microsoft as someone with a disability? Uh, what was that experience like for you? How did you get on? How did you, what, what were you faced with initially? Well, first off, uh, I'd like to give Microsoft credit. It was the first place I felt comfortable enough to self-identify as somebody with a disability. Prior to then, I never would. Um, the first day was interesting because it's the first time you meet your, your boss and team remotely, it's a different experience, right? Because when the pandemic hit, at least at my last place of work, I had existing relationships I could leverage. So it was really interesting the first day coming in meeting people virtually and remote. And um, it was like hitting, it's like trying to drink from a fire hose, right? Like every large organization, you have to do all your onboarding compliance training. And Microsoft is this huge company. But what really, um, what really struck me the first few days was their authenticity. Kind of like what you said, Stephen, um, they have done the messaging. They've invested in technology. Panos always likes to say the people that use our product should be representative of those that make the product. And to really be able to see the genuineness and authenticity throughout the organization, to really feel it's genuine, right? Because as an outsider, you're always like, is this true? Are they just putting this on? But being able to experience that authenticity on the first day, and even up until now, it's been seven months, has been really, um, really gratifying and confirming that I made the right decision to pivot my career here. Yeah, I mean, seeing you on the on the the main you know keynote address talking about Windows 11 and you know discussing uh, Surface Adaptive Kit, which of course we'll we'll get to talk about, um, you know, and discussing the you know, as a disabled person, you know, means a lot to everyone out there who's disabled because it's credible. That's the bottom line, isn't it? It's credible because you are a disabled person. You, you've you been part of the process. You know that other disabled people have been part of the process. So the products come from a good place um, and they come from the right place. They come from the voice of the community. Well, it's really interesting that, that, that you say that, right? Because when we shot that commercial, one of the things I feel the most vulnerable about is my hands. They're really impacted by cerebral palsy. So when I unboxed the Surface Adaptive Kit, it was really, really um, uh, challenging for me to be vulnerable enough to do that. But the number of emails I got, the number of messages I got, seeing you unbox it, made me feel more comfortable about myself. That was when I really resonated that me having a disability brings that authenticity. But even before I got there, Microsoft is so focused on inclusive design. 
that we design with people with disabilities and not for. So in every bit of the product making process, we really reach out to the community to really understand um, what, where the gaps are, where their challenges are, because we want to see firsthand. We want to understand the struggles and challenge and look for the best ways to, to really resolve those mismatches. So I'm glad that um, I've been able to add on to an already solid foundation before I got here. Yeah, isn't it interesting that someone picks up on that particular thing a bit? Although you were conscious of it, you were conscious of it from your perspective. You were thinking about your own vulnerability, but you probably weren't thinking that someone else out there would see that and actually be able to feel more comfortable as a result. That, that must have felt very positive for you. That made, that made the vulnerability and the discomfort feel rewarding, right? Um, because unfortunately, early on in my career, Stephen, I'm almost embarrassed to admit it. I would try to mask my disability or hide it. Now, I use a power wheelchair, so it's not like I can truly hide from it. But then I never really embraced it. And I wish I would have, I wish I would have realized the impact of my struggle can be motivation for others. And because if I look back, I guess I didn't have many people I could look up to as I was going. And um, it's a great privilege and responsibility to be that for others. Yeah. I mean, our stories are not that different. You know, our disabilities may be different. Our our approach to life, our way of living is maybe different because, you know, I'm a blind guy. Uh, So the, the, the challenges are different, perhaps, but ultimately they are the same, aren't they? I mean, you know, I, I, you talk about your hands. I think about my eyes. I mean, my eyes dart about all over my head sometimes, and I think this is horrible when I'm on camera. Um, and I almost prefer to be off camera. And it's interesting you, you also talk about, you know, going into uh, offices prior to being in Microsoft and not disclosing disability. I was exactly the same. Only when I started working for a big blindness charity in the UK, I actually felt like I could actually talk about it and not feel so um, so self-conscious and, and be self-conscious about it. Um, obviously, Dave, this has been a, a very uh, difficult couple of years for a lot of people, in particular disabled people, when the pandemic hit because you know, we were in a situation where we all had to very quickly adapt to new environments. Now, some disabled people, um, it's fair to say, really, really benefited from working from home um, and had probably been calling for it for many years, right? Uh, something that, you know, it really did make a difference to their lives because it suited their needs. Um but technology really had to play its part. You know, Microsoft Teams became a major part. I mean, for organizations who were already using it, perhaps maybe just using it sparingly uh, or getting into using it, suddenly had to learn how to figure this out very quickly. And the demands on Microsoft Teams became, um, you know, huge. Um how did you deal with that from an accessibility point of view? Because, of course, there's the general challenges people have of how to, you know, physically make a meeting happen and get teams up and running. But then all the challenges with, you know, the, the requirements for accessibility, screen readers and switch control and all of that. It was interesting. And I, I like your th- I would like to know your thoughts on this, too, Stephen. Um, one of the most interesting things I think about the pandemic is it was the first time that other people that don't have a disability or a challenge 
were faced with a mismatch in their environment, right? They could not work like they used to before. They could not shop like they used to. They could not connect with loved ones like they used to. So really, people that didn't have to go through the same experience like you and I did, for the first time had to develop empathy of trying to find new and different ways to do things that they previously had the opportunity to take for granted. So I think when technology came out, because it was weird, if you would have asked me before the pandemic, Stephen, I would have said, there's no way I can work remotely. I need to be in the office. I need to be an influencer, especially at a senior leader level, right? Where, you know, presence means so much. Mm. Hybrid working is really taking away a lot of anxiety. So let me give you this. When I first started a job at a company, my biggest anxiety is, can I go to the bathroom? Whether it be somebody, it can give me water if I can't reach the water cooler. Working at home, if my bathroom is inaccessible, that's on me. So I don't have to worry about my physical environment. I can put my whole attention to work. So now that I've found out that I can work productive at home, now technology plays a big part, right? So the same due diligence we had to do for physical architecture, whether it was putting ramps, elevators, doorways in, now we got to put into our digital platforms like Teams and Microsoft 365 and Windows to ensure we have that inclusive, accessible experience for all people with disabilities. And like you know, a lot of able-bodied people like to do, use the accessible accessories as well because it makes their lives better. So I think using technology and really reducing the friction we have of even going from and to work, right? Like I usually, even if I have to schedule special transportation, that window is an hour each way, each day to go to and from work. Now we have two hours back where we can dedicate to ourselves and to our work. So I believe hybrid work in technology and the way teams ramped up, right? I'm sure I'm sure the initial roadmap before the pandemic wasn't at the rate it was during the pandemic when everybody got dependent on it. Mm. But the way they built captioning into teams, not only to help deaf people or hard of hearing, um, before I joined Microsoft, I had a, um, a team in LATAM. And what I liked about the translation feature in, the, in the, um, the, the, the transcription, I was able to be able to communicate more effectively to my Spanish um, colleagues that I couldn't even before that was put into teams. So it really didn't just help people with disabilities. It helped communication and it brought the big world so close together, even though we were isolated. Okay, so what were the, the, the major challenges in making products like Teams accessible? You can tell me, Dave. I won't tell anyone. Um, what, were the, <laughs> what, were the, what were the nightmares? What were the moments you thought, oh, my God, this is, this is an absolute nightmare. How do we fix this? Well, luckily, I didn't have to worry about it. It was before I came to Microsoft, so I was, I was just a beneficial consumer of it at the time. 
But like everything, right? like any product, when you're trying to expedite it and to really think about the things you need to do to make it accessible, I believe probably the biggest challenge was was trying to learn from the community fast enough. And what I mean from the community fast enough, uh, learning from the people with disabilities, hey, you move to hybrid work, what's working, what's not? Um, so I imagine there was a challenge of getting in front of them to understand it and then coming up with the right solutions. And like any time we do product, we would like it perfect the first time we do it. But I believe it was building that iterative learning experience to really apply the learning that our customers were sharing with us about their struggles to really adapt it into teams quick enough. And not just teams, right? Even an office. And, you know, what I really enjoyed with the office team did recently is we have an accessibility checker right beside spell check. So it's almost implying sending communication out that isn't spell checked is just as inappropriate if you send something without doing an accessibility check. And that's really raising the profile of ensuring that, you know, our normal work correspondence needs to be accessible. If there's images, there's alt text, if there's certain color contrast, we're really making it to be almost um, considered sloppy if you don't think about accessibility and all your corporate and personal communications as it would be if you sent it with spelling and grammar errors. It's interesting when we talk about this, because we're talking about this from the point of view of people who are in work, who are disabled and are able to, you know, to fight the corner. But of course, many people who are disabled are not in work. And that's a a major challenge as well, isn't it? And and I wonder your views on the, um, the way that technology can show people and I'm talking about able-bodied people here, show able-bodied people how disabled people can take part in the workforce, be part of the workforce, be good, loyal employees. Um, Do you think the pandemic has helped in any way? Is that one of the only maybe good things we can pull out of this pandemic? No, I I think, I think a lot, and I'm making an assumption here, right? Probably totally wrong, but a lot of this, we had a lot of highly skilled and talented people with disabilities, not in the workforce, probably due to a lot of the logistics and what I like to call the disability tax, which is the effort disabled people got to put in that others get to take for granted to be able to organize their care and everything to get to work. Now that we can work from home, I think employers have access to talent pools that they maybe didn't have access to previously. Because think about the way we used to recruit Steve, and it used to be proximity to the head office. Now that we can work remotely, we have dispersed talent pools, and particularly when it comes to people with disabilities, now those people that have challenges of, of getting out of the house now can use technology work from home, be an active participant, bring their cognitive diversity into a lot of creative problem solving because everybody now is on an equal platform 
using teams and technology. So I believe the pandemic has proven to those legacy industries, because I think the tech industry, we always knew we could work remotely, right? That was no surprise. But the legacy organizations like, like banks, insurance, those type of businesses now got to learn they too can work remotely and be highly productive. So now I'm hoping with them understanding the value and the benefit of remote work, that is going to really open the doors to people with disabilities that they previously didn't have, where they can bring their talents to get that so much needed cognitive diversities for those legacy organizations to innovate like they previously couldn't. You know, for me, when I started in, in, uh, you might call it disability broadcasting, I suppose that may be one way to call it, um, essentially talking specifically about blind people and uh, access to mainstream technology as a solution. Um, That was my main focus. I talked about blindness. And then I began to learn about the intersectionality of disability and the fact that, you know, a blind person can have hearing problems or, you know, can be in a wheelchair or can have cerebral palsy. You know, it's not exclusive. Right. And and I I mean, I kind of knew that already, but it was just brought into my mind about how disability um, and accessibility tools can benefit a person who has multiple disabilities. Uh, and I just wonder about what you've learned along the way, uh, even in the seven months you've been with Microsoft. You know, what have you learned yourself about other disabilities and the, the needs of other people um, through your time? You know, my learning curve is like yours, Stephen. I think as an individual with a disability, I think the first thing I learned was There's more disabilities than just cerebral palsy, right? So (laughs) even though we always knew there was like blind, deaf, and everything else, um, the biggest thing I learned was a lot about the intersectionality that that exists between and the different um, and the different spectrums, right, or the the severities of disabilities. So you know, disability is really a three dimensional access between you know, is it specific, is it intersectional, and what is the severity, is it permanent, is it temporary? So there's so much complexity there. Um, So I think the biggest thing I learned was that, understanding that, the different complexities and vectors to disability, but then the whole assistive technology market out there, right? There's such a market out there, and What I learned in my research to really design our roadmaps and to put it together was there's almost like, I think there was like $10 billion in IP um, reserve to do assistive technology in the next 10 years. And then I thought, wow, that seems to be a big investment from 10 years from now. But that gave me the perspective that, you know what? everybody's going to lose their ability at some point. So even though we're designing for people with disabilities that can use it today, it's really we're building for relevance. So our existing users, as as their abilities start to diminish, we're going to have the right technology to meet them where they're at so we can continue that long-term loyalty and customer support. So for me, I didn't realize 
how fast the market was growing. And to some degree, we got to catch up, right? Like 10 years isn't that far away. It seems far away, but we really got to accelerate it, not for just people that are disabled at the moment, but as we all age out into it, right? So um, what well, was really a big learning curve for me, so there was the disability complexity, the AT market space, but really how fast we got to make up the ground because everybody's going to end up there. Can we be ready in time, right? So that was my biggest learnings. You know, at Microsoft, it seems that accessibility is just part of the DNA. That's the impression that I get as an outsider uh, by what you say, by what you do. Um, but of course, not all companies are Microsoft. And that's a shame. Um, but, you know, because of that, uh, you know, I guess there's lots of learning to be done. I know Microsoft does push the accessibility message to business and to your partners. Um is that is that just an ongoing conversation that you're just prepared to have, or do you think that a time will come when, you know, accessibility will just become part of the mainstream because of the way that you're promoting it in a sense that it's not something that is exclusive to a bunch of people, but actually anybody at any time can be disabled either situationally or by an accident or by birth or by you know, something that's happened to them, or by aging, right? Yeah. Um, you're right. It is part of the DNA and kudos to even before I got there. Um, you know, we have Jenny LaFleury really trying to close the disability divide in education and the workplace and all her uh, advocacy out there. But I think what's really special about Microsoft, too, is we're not doing it just to benefit Microsoft. We're actually working with industry partners and other tech companies to share a lot of the best practices and a lot of learning, because we really believe in by rising all by by rising the tides, all boats rise, right? So we're really looking at it even beyond Microsoft to really how do we ensure we create a really inclusive and accessible ecosystem? But you're right, it is part of everything we decide and do. Can we get better? Absolutely, right? I'm not going to sit here and say we're perfect. There's still things we're trying to drive to be better. And as somebody with a disability, I don't know what perfect would look like, but I think we all know what better can look like. So what I really enjoy is iterating and always getting better, learning from our ecosystem and partners, as well as sharing a lot of our best practices and learnings we're getting. Because, you know, if we create a wider successful ecosystem, all users with disabilities win. And that's what really we're, we're really aspiring to do. Now, of course, a big part of changing society is about educating children. And, you know, that's something another area that Microsoft is big on. Of course, in the tech sense, there's the, the actual technology you provide. But of course, that technology is fully accessible as well. So, you know, instantly a child who is disabled at school gets to use the same tech as everyone else. And that matters, doesn't it? I, I know growing up that that wasn't the case for me. I don't know about you. Well, exactly, right? Um, now, because technology is blended into the core of the product, they're not the add-on accessories, right, where we had to have apps on top of apps, separate programs, and 
During our time, Stephen, our parents didn't know what technology was available. Our teachers didn't know. So in the education space, we're really trying to work with educators to to educate ourselves and what they need in the classroom, but really to help educate themselves in how assistive technology can meet the needs of their students to close that disability gap, but to make the technology inclusive. Because I was sharing this story a while ago as an executive, right? When um, I used to get my device modified, right? I would go into an occupational therapist. They would modify it so it was easier for me to open up my device and use it. But the modifications they put on my device made my device stand out from my peers around the table. So I was reluctant to pull it out because I didn't want to look like an outsider to the group, right? But what I like about what Microsoft is doing, by building in the technology inclusively, using the same kind of product-making care to ensure the aesthetics are aligned with the with the quality and the ability of performance, it's not just enough they can use the technology, but can they use the technology and feel included in the in the environment they're in? And um, that's what's really magical about not simply just building a product somebody can use. We're really driving to ensure it's going to be a product somebody would choose. Compliance isn't enough. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to take you back to that um, Surface event, which I have to tell you, I wasn't able to watch because I was on a cruise ship at the time. Um, I mean, that wasn't a bad thing. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a real hardship. Stephen, I would have watched it, but, you know, there was a cruise. I was on a cruise, you know, I was drinking things. You know, it was nice. Um, But, no, I was was away on holiday with my wife, and it was the week that it happened. So I was actually really annoyed. And then, of course, as often is the case with these big events from, you know, yourselves at Microsoft or if it's Apple or Google, accessibility doesn't often get mentioned. And then, of course, this is the event where there's you. And I missed it. So annoyed. Um, but, you know, you talked about the Surface Adaptive Kit. Um, and, you know, that really got the technology blogs going about, wow, let's talk about accessibility. And, you know, let's talk about what this means. And, you know, I saw some prominent bloggers and journalists talking about it. And what was brilliant was they were all saying kind of the same thing, which was, hey, this is good for disabled people. I, I could use this as well. I, I would benefit from this. Tell us about that. Tell, go, go back to the, the event for us. Talk us through um, your involvement in that and you know how this Surface Adaptive Kit came to be. Well, it was interesting. Um, you know, it was during COVID in Canada. We weren't traveling that far. Uh, I got a call from my, my boss, Chris Hunter, and she's like, listen, can I talk to you? can you come down for this event? We're going to shoot to do the um, Surface Adaptive Kit. Because at that time, I didn't try, like, you know, do you do pre-COVID tests, post-COVID tests? I was vaccinated and everything. But if it was anybody but her that would have asked me, I don't know if I would have went through all that struggle to fly to do it. But I knew the Surface Adaptive Kit was going to be such a compelling product because, It was going to help, like you said, not only disabled people, but non-disabled people. And I and, you know, and I I care so much for my boss. I said, yeah, let's do it. So going there, um, 
You know, I had every flight mishap you could you could hope for. But going there on four hours sleep, really going to the roots of it. And let's be honest, that was the first time I met my boss in person, even though we worked together for four months. Wow. But to be able to have that magic to share that shared purpose on we're going to enable so many people to do things with this was magical. So going down there, um, you know, Microsoft takes such good care on everything inclusiveness. One of the things I think people take for granted is the ability to unbox their really cool thing for the very first time. So I thought that was an important element that we shared, even though I was incredibly vulnerable. But it was great that it was going to be on the mainstream, right? It was the first time accessibility was on an equal stage of all the fantastic devices that were coming out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with that and sustainability, we really wanted to show we're not just a company that does cool tech. We want to create cool tech that enables everybody. And so by putting it on the main stage like that and the reaction we got was just so compelling. When you see these really cool bloggers and YouTubers showing the Surface Adaptive Kit, it was the first time I seen accessibility being at the being at the front and center stage, getting it as a marketing and getting it as prestigious as any of our other technologies to show accessibility is good, it can be sexy, and it can be impactful to everybody. So that's what was incredible about that event. And even afterwards, um, some of the early feedback we got was, I even used these, uh, I even used the Surface Adaptive Kit to put stickers on my microwave because now I can see the quick keep buttons and stuff. And people were using um, the, the port labeling for their entertainment unit. So when they had to put cords behind the TV, it was easy for them to line up the ports. But that was a big definition of how when we design for one, it can be shared with all. Really, really um, blossomed into its own story. Yeah, and, and it's a great one. I have mine on order, Dave. So yes, they will be here soon. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Because uh, I, 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 for many years, I used uh, this product called Lock Dots. I don't know if they exist in the states, but um, or Canada, but they these little lock dots, just basically tiny little bumps, and that's what I used for my um, keyboard. But of course, it didn't define anything. It was just a dot. Um, that's what's great about these. These actually, they, they do give you the ability to define keys, define ports, define the product more. Right. And it's not just for blind people, too. There's lanyards on it that really make the screen easy to open and things. Right. Because I think people, when they think about accessibility, they might think about it beginning from the moment somebody is actually creating or building. But really, the moment of accessibility needs to start with when I roll up to the device or when you come up to the device can I find the button to turn the power on? For me, can I lift the screen to open it? The journey starts way before we get to interact with the technology, and the journey continues after when we want to put that technology away. 
So looking at the journey from a user and not just the technology is something that I think the Surface Adaptive Kit addressed really well. How do you make sure that you're not omitting people when you're designing a kit like this? How do you, how do you get around that problem? Because that, that's it's always a challenge, isn't it? Well, the same challenge in product making, right? Like, ideally, we'd love to build a product, even if it's nothing to do with accessibility, that can be wanted by all or used by all. But really, with time and space being a, a finite resource, I think we do our best shot to think about what do we do with this first iteration of the kit? Which problems are we needing to solve? And then once we release it, let's learn how it's being used. Let's learn to see which gaps still exist or which new gaps there is. So I think you have to almost forego that concern about omitting someone and realizing it's an iterative process and you know what, if we omitted somebody this time unintentionally, we're going to really pick up on that learning and implement it in future iterations for other products or future iterations of existing products. Can we talk about the, the hardware as well, the Surface Pro 8 and, and indeed all the other Surface line uh, updates as well? Um, really exciting hardware. Uh, and, and, you know, quite a big design change from Surface Pro 7 to 8, you know, rounded edges, better screen, all that. Oh, yeah, I love the Pro 8. It's light enough. It's easy enough. It's a tablet. It's a keyboard. But it's really got the horsepower it needs to run my um, assistive technology that isn't built into the, the Windows suite. So really, um, that product was great. And what I found interesting, Stephen, that I never thought I would use is the pen, right? Because I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't use a regular pen day to day, except for signing my name for things like mortgages and employment agreements. But now that we have the, the digital pen and I'm using it, I'm realizing I'm using the pen a lot more than I thought I would. And I thought to myself, why is it because I'm a tech nerd and I like technology? But I think the real reason why I feel comfortable using a pen now, when you use a pen digitally, it's easy to correct your mistakes. It's easy to be human and change your mind. Or Pernaman pen, if I make a mistake, then I got to scribble it or try to fumble with liquid paper, which nobody wants, and then to do that. So the hardware of the pen, the Surface Pro 8, and even um, the Surface Studio laptop, right, with the different screen postures, has just been fantastic. Yeah, that's a huge design uh, change as well. And a new category to some degree. I mean, you've really moved into that pro space for creatives. Um, I mean, again, these are just incredible devices. One category, though, that is kind of missing from all this, I find, is is desktop. I mean, you've still got Surface Studio, right? That's still on offer. Oh, yep. The studio is still there. But you're right. It was funny. I was on a call a few weeks ago, and somebody mentioned desktop. I'm like, Wow, what are those? Like, I haven't heard about those in a, in a long time. And I think it's because the industry is going more mobile. But you know what the reality is, Stephen, I think? And I don't know where your setup at home is. Even though I have laptops, I plug into a hub. I have multiple screen displays. 
So really, the, my laptop has become the new desktop. Maybe that, that category is not as needed. I mean, there are certainly plenty of partners that offer it if uh, people want it. Well, yeah, we still have this Surface Studio, right? With It's a gorgeous screen and pivots and signs for your desktop needs. Um, but we're really trying to get, you know, a whole device ecosystem that we can meet the needs of a variety of different users and you know, it's hard to be everything to all people, but we can have a device that can work for anyone. So, you know, that's the, the, the model I believe we're trying to satisfy. What kind of things did you bring to the table that, that we would see in products and in action today um, as part of your role at Microsoft? I don't know if you will see it directly in the product because... I do believe they were already doing a great job with it. Um, what I think I bring is the real human connecting story. As somebody that's had a life a lot like my peers, but I get to explain to them firsthand my struggles and challenges. Um, and, you know, even how to acquire that technology. So um, I, I think uh, what I've been starting to bring in there is a user with a disability, but there's also the consumer with a disability. And how do we get this great technology as easily as we can into people's hands? So working with my team and, and my boss, we're really, we're really not satisfied. I think that's the general nature, right? Um, we don't fall in love with our own story. We're really striving to get better. So I think it's just the ongoing... Um, humanistic side of accessibility and making it real to those people that may not be exposed to it and continually learning from the community of where we can better serve them. And um, so I don't think there's anything I'm doing in particular. It's just great to be standing on the shoulder of giants. Yeah, Dave, it's been great hearing your story. Thank you so much for coming on to Blind Guy Talks Tech today. Come back soon. Thank you for having me. This was great. Definitely. Uh, thanks, Dave. And just a reminder that you can get involved with our show. Uh, all the ways to do that are coming up. But uh, just a reminder as well that you can find us uh, and all our content at blindguytalkstech.com. All the episodes are there, the full archive. We don't delete anything. Well, unless it's really bad. But nothing's been bad so far. Everything's been brilliant. Uh, so <laughs> check out the content. Search the archive. Check out what I'm reading as well. We have the tech news segment on the website, uh, which uh, means you can follow what I've been reading uh, online in the past couple of weeks and days. So check that out under the tech news section on blindguytalkstech.com. It's all there on the front page. Really simple to navigate. We've done an episode on that as well, so you go check that out. Uh, and while you're there, don't forget to search for Ability Summit and find out all about this year's Microsoft Ability Summit held on May 10th. We'll uh, look forward to hearing your thoughts on that and uh, we'll get some follow-up interviews with Hector Minto and uh, everyone involved at the Ability Summit. And of course, we'll hear more from Microsoft in the coming weeks and months as well. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for your contributions. The ways to get involved coming up. I'll catch you tomorrow. If you want even more Blind Guy in your life, visit blindguytalkstech.com for previous episodes. Find us on your podcast apps or ask Lady A or Lady G to play Blind Guy Talks Tech Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Catch you tomorrow.